Colorado State Senator Larry Crowder. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. Boy, I tell you, Colorado is turning into an interesting, interesting story from a lot of different levels. And obviously you had the, the prop, Proposition 112, SB, is it 181, I believe, is the, is the SB 181. So there's a lot of drama when it comes to the oil and gas, a lot of issues. It's become very political. I've mentioned many times on this program how over the last five years, I chose to stay in Fort Collins instead of Greeley and Denver, and I saw and I felt the progression of the disdain and the uh, just movement against the oil and gas industry from where people in hotels were looking over their shoulder before they'd mentioned that they worked in the oil and gas industry. And I, I saw the evolution. So uh, very uh, excited and uh, honored to have on Colorado State Senator Larry Crowder to talk a little bit about a recent op-ed piece that he wrote in the Pueblo Chieftain. It is their daily newspaper. I assume they're still a daily. And we're going to talk a little bit about what prompted him to write this and as well as what some of the meat is. I read the meat of it, and I love it. I think it's great. Um, whether you're for, whether you're against, whether you're trying to educate yourself, whether you're making yourself aware, what you've done here is you've pretty much bullet pointed some pretty sterile facts. And the idea, at least what I read, is we're going to let people make up their own minds on what is exactly going on. So with that as a very long introduction, uh, State Senator, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me today. Well, I appreciate you coming on. D District 35, where is District 35? District 35 covers 16 counties in South Central and Southeastern Colorado. And I will tell you that I'm a, basically a fifth generation Coloradan out of this area. And, you know, what prompted this article was in my district, 35, we only have two and a half percent of the oil production, oil and gas production in the state of Colorado, with the bulk of it being up north in Will County, a more populated area. But when you, when you start talking about rural areas with, uh, with only two and a half percent of the oil production, that does uh, translate to quite a few jobs in the district. And the thing about it, in a small populated district, it's a large land area. It's, it's not easy to recover if these jobs are lost by moving into another industry. Uh, you know, and that's the fallacy of what we, what we have between the metro and the rural areas. You know, in metropolitan, heavily area, uh, populated areas, you could actually shut down a, a, a business or a, a sect of a business and replace it rather quickly, but in rural Colorado, you cannot do that. You know, it takes years, if, and if ever, it can be replaced. So that's what prompted me. It was basically the economics of it. I will tell you also, I'm a, in the, in the real world, I'm a cattleman. And I, I do believe that when it comes to the stewardship of the land, I think your agricultural people have a better understanding on how that works than someone in that, that has just heard about it. In your, in your populated areas. So, uh, you know, we, we've really had a, I think over the last 20 or 30 years, we've had technological advances in oil and gas that have, have done several things. And one of them has, to, has cleaned up the environment considerably. You know, and I think that uh, with future technology, we could even clean it up more without uh, this disastrous 181 bill that basically 
devastated the oil and gas business in the state of Colorado. If somebody were just tuning in for the first time, not really sure what Proposition 112 is and Senate Bill 181, you know, in a very 30-second or, a, a, you know, 60-second type elevator pitch, okay. how, how would you kind of summarize that? Well, the Proposition 112 was basically a, uh, a ballot issue given out to the state voters in the state of Colorado, which actually extended or, or exceeded the, uh, uh, the, the distance that they can drill within a building or a school or whatnot. Which was handedly defeated by the by the voters of the state of Colorado, and what the, I can't remember exactly what the footage was. I think now it's a thousand feet, and they wanted to double that or triple that. And again, in, in Weld County, it was just not feasible, you know. Uh, so what 181 did basically is legislation to do the same thing that Prop 112 failed with the voters. So it was a I thought it was a slap in the face to the voters of the state of Colorado. Uh, you know, this was brought on by your metro area representatives, and it just uh, it just was not viable the way they did it, in my opinion. Sorry, I'm just making some notes here as we, as we're talking and and um, going through some of these different things. Now, the latest issue that I've seen, well, it's twofold. One is that now there's some some new rules that apparently are coming out of Colorado with oil and gas that's got the industry up in arms again. And it almost seems like it came out of nowhere. And the reason I say it came out of nowhere, because over the last month, month and a half, we were, we were actively trying to get uh, people from the industry on, uh, whether they'd be, you know, you know, associations or councils or, you know, those types of individuals and the response we got back was that they kind of had a truce with the activists, that, that nobody was going to do anything till after the election. We were going to try to kumbaya this thing till you know, there's enough hatred going on. And, um, you know, of course, I'm exaggerating, but the, the meat sure. of it was that there was supposed to be a, a truce until after the election. Well, I mean, it seems like a day after the election, it's like they had something ready to go. Um, but, yeah, help me but, out understand that, because I'm not from well, there. I'll I'm just, try to. Yeah. You know, what 181 did was, was establish a Colorado Oil and Gas Commission. And all of these people on this commission were appointed by the governor. And all of these all of these people on this commission are out of the Denver-Boulder area. And, you know, the primary objective is to, in my opinion, shut oil and gas down. So I think it was, uh, you, know, you have to realize, too, in the state of Colorado, we are, and I'm not trying to be political, but I'm a Republican. And the governor, the, the Senate, as well as the House of Representatives are dominated by uh, Democrats. So they have this uh, they have this idea that oil and gas is bad, and you know we fought it as we fought it as Republicans, I might add. But the reality is, with the dominating Democratic uh, majority, you know that their intent is to uh, create a utopian that does not exist. In in uh, in reducing oil and gas, uh, climate change and whatnot. But the reality is what what it's done so far is elimination jobs. And we have what they call a severance tax in Colorado, where all minerals extracted, extracted on, from natural resources is, is divided up into the counties. And we're talking about a billion dollars a year that goes to help these counties, uh, you know, maintain their budget and 
and you know for bridges and roads and whatnot. So you know it affects a lot more than just oil and gas people. But you know, as I stated in that letter to the editor, you know, we've already, since 191 came into effect, we've already had 90,000 jobs lost. And we're, we're talking about good paying jobs too. And it's not a, uh, it's not a situation where, you know, they're, they're all highly educated, uh, you know, the elitist and whatnot, but these are just common people that work for oil and gas and are making a decent living, you know? So I, I don't know if that explains it. Uh, it, it, it uh, opens up a couple more questions, I guess. Um, yeah. It, it helps uh, help me understand. And it's what I've heard. And twofold on this is, one, I'm going to ask you about the severance tax, and then the other one I'm going to ask you about uh, the Colorado Oil and Gas Commission, this, this new organization, yeah. about the validity and the special interest behind it. So the first part is the taxes. In, in North Dakota, where I'm from, this is no, no lie. 50 to 55% of the entire general budget is tied to the oil and gas extraction and production tax. So 55% of our state, and that doesn't include the vehicle registration and all the other taxes that come sure. with, you know, the oil and gas companies with their out-of-town workers. 55% of the state's budget is tied to those two taxes. That's an incredible impact. They had to shift basically CARES Act money to keep uh, oil companies in North Dakota because the, what the people don't understand is, if those rig counts go down, they got bigger problems than just the oil and gas industry. So that that's just kind of, to me, an extreme example, actually, of how, you know, some state some state elected officials can put most of their eggs in one basket. And I don't know the case in Colorado, but that's why no, I, I want... think you're, Go ahead. I think you're right on, you know. I think uh, the impacts are, are felt far and wide, you know. Uh, you know, a lot of our... We've had, because of this COVID, we've had a... Three billion dollar decrease on our budget this year already, and you know, with with the amount of people, you know, losing their jobs, that that affects your school systems and everything else, you know, on down the line. So, I don't, you know, I, I'm not sure I, I understand what our total uh, gross budget on the oil and gas is, but it's huge. You know, one of the articles I wrote, one of the articles I wrote about in the paper was downtown Denver is. The business section of downtown Denver is uh, housed by roughly fifty percent of the uh, roughly fifty percent of the business interest in downtown Denver are rented or leased from the oil and gas business. So if you if you start taking that out of the equation, you're talking about a huge amount of revenue lost to the state, as well as real estate, just from oil and gas. So I, I but the, but you know it just goes on and on and on. You know, and, uh, I'm glad you brought up that real estate aspect because I did want to bring that up as one example as the ripple effect because in North Dakota, I wanted to bring up kind of the extreme example of kind of, like I said, tying a lot to the taxes. But what you brought up in your op-ed piece is what a lot of people obviously talk about, but in a very different context and way. I, what I like about yours is the bullet points because – I didn't realize it was 50% of downtown yeah. Denver. I, I had heard, you know, 30, 40, upwards of 50, that sort of thing. But to know that it's 40 to 50% of businesses. Now, I don't know if that includes 
other service companies and things. And what I mean by that is, you know, when, when the COVID first hit back in uh, February, March, and April, a lot of the businesses that flooded the Small Business Administration were trucking companies, were companies that were actually affiliated with the midstream, upstream, downstream, salmon stream of oil and gas, but they're not included in the mining industry sector. So I'm curious, you know, what the real numbers are. You say 50%, it might be closer to 60. I mean, well, actually, you go know, ahead. It's, it's, it's claimed to be 48 to 52%. Okay. That's what it's claimed. It's it's on and anyway the point is that there's there's more to this than just the special interests and that's where I wanted to go with the new oil and gas uh, Colorado Oil and Gas Commission which this is a new new set of commissioners correct that is correct and they were appointed by the governor that is correct so this appointment seems to be and I'm by the way this is based on evidence where I saw an article out about how this oil and gas commission sent out an email accidentally with calling oil companies snake oil companies and other derogatory names, which says what the what the mood and the culture is like. And well, so, that might be, but that's not a function of government. To no, it's not. And that's, that, that's what begs the question. Is this oil and gas commission more of a special interest group or is it actually a regulating body? To my, I, all I could do is give an opinion. I think they're, you know, I think they're more of a... Uh, special interest group. Yeah, okay. Well, and, and I, I think that opinion you know, that, is backed with fact, but, you know. But you have to realize this comes down from the governor, too. I think the governor's objective is to go, you know, and don't take this wrong, but I'm, I'm a firm believer in alternative energy also. You know, but the governor thinks alternative energy is the only way to go. And that's what's difficult. A lot of oil and gas uh you know, call it supporters or just energy enthusiasts or whatever. They're not in the polarizing way of life. They're they're like all the above, and let's just go for you know. Long before the Sierra Club and Greta Thunberg came along, humans were decarbonizing by themselves. In fact, if you go back 150 years, back when Abraham Lincoln was in office, you know we were burning hay and we are uh, wood, and you know our, our hydrocarbons were very very dirty. And through the course of innovation, we have gone down to, I want to say, like four right now with natural gas being the bulk of it. So what we brought up earlier in the in the interview was what attracted you to the oil and gas industry. At least that was my interpretation. It's very same what attracted me, which is the innovations. When I went to a reclamation site, that's when I actually became sold on oil and gas. I came from ag as well. That's my bad. I came from the eastern side of North Dakota, so we're all agriculture. We got to drive seven sure. hours to our first oil rig. So it. Well, you know, what I looked at, the reason I was excited about the fracking, especially, is world events. You know, it, it has eliminated a lot of the need for, for uh, special interest to make sure that we protect our interest abroad when we can have it here. And, uh, you know, as a veteran myself, uh, you know, I, I just looked at this situation. It, it, it'd be more viable not to have wars over oil when we can produce it here in this country. But I'll tell you, if this idea permeates throughout the country, that's what concerns me a great deal. Will we go back to the foreign oil aspect of it and protecting uh, that interest? So, I, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of room for, for thought in this, you know, and how we should perceive this and, mm -hmm. and what is in the best for the country. But I, 
I just happen to believe that the technology may not even be here that we need to protect the environment even more, but I think it will will come as as problems arise. But this this Colorado deal, you know, just to shut it down, you know, the uh, just goes against the grain. You have to realize being rural, you know, there's a large portion of rural population in Colorado, as probably is in North Dakota, that rely on propane uh, for heating. So are we going to have to, you know, change our entire mode of living on, you know, are we going to have to convert everything to electricity? So there's a lot of questions out there. It's it's a very expensive transition, and I, I just don't understand the crash course that we're yeah, on. And it, and it may be unnecessary. And that that's my issue, is that it, this, the speed that we're trying to do it over is unnatural. And because it's unnatural, listen, we don't even know how to, how to, you know, wildlife people don't even know how to get it right. Look at what the mismanagement we've done to Yellowstone Park over the last hundred years. That's well documented that we haven't even figured out how to stop raw sewage from being pumped out of there right now. So we as humans, it'd be nice if we could learn from our mistakes rather than trying well, to, you, you know, know, just cover them up. This, this is kind of off subject, but you know, in Colorado, we've had these massive fires. Yeah. And a lot of this is attributed back to the mountain pine beetle, which devastated our forest to start with. So we have, you know, out of 3 million acres, we've got a million and a half acres of dead timber just waiting to be burnt. So a lot of times nature, nature has a, a plan that we do not understand, nor can we actually fix. But, you know, I think... Uh, we should try and all be good stewards of the land. And I think, I think oil and gas, due to the nature of their business, are trying to find ways to even make it cleaner. State Senator Larry Crowder, District 35 out of Colorado, talking about some of the new changes that are anticipated to be coming out very shortly in Colorado. What's next for oil and gas? What can they do? I mean, I like I said, I, I almost feel like this was kind of a setup because the interviews that I tried to get leading up to the election were basically turned down because of this, this truce or whatever they had where neither side wanted to, you know, put anything well, on the ballot or bad mouth. And each- did you know what I'm talking about? Am I? Am, I do. Okay. I explain do. explain that is, a little bit, would you? I, I cannot explain that because I, that's, that's not, that's not the way I understood it. You know, I know the, Oil and gas people out of Denver are fighting tooth and nail to keep their livelihood going. Uh, you know, I think they it, it might have quieted down until the election was over, but I think uh, you know it's sure not quiet now. No, and that's what I don't get because it's almost like this this Colorado blueprint crowd is. Well, I, think that, is I think part of it was you know the the indications from oil and gas commission that it may not be as bad as it as it first come out. But, you know, when you, when you start talking about, you know, different aspects of losing oil and gas, you know, you, you know, they're talking like 2020 to 2030, you know, they're, they're talking a shutdown of oil and gas. And I think that this is, uh, you know, not the direction we should take at this point. I just look at it from, you know, an outsider as, and somebody who's, you know, been there and, and, you know, absorbed it and interviewed a number of people firsthand and everything. And what, what I kind of see over the last, I don't know, six months was that one side 
basically was not being 100% truthful to another side and um, had a plan and, and didn't disclose the entire plan. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the political shape we're in in Colorado. And you to know, me, it, it, it's very similar to what a junior high or high school kid would do. And that's what scares me because a lot of this, this is this, what's going on is it seems almost juvenile and we're it's being very cavalier with people's lives. And your, in your well, article, I mean, you even pointed out the steel mill going to get impact and you're right. I mean, this is, this has got some pretty far reaching aspects here. And the, oh, the only reason I'm saying, I'm saying it like this yeah. is because the commission had that, you know, derogatory email where they kind of let their true colors show. And so to me, it seems like this was planned is what I'm getting at. So. Yeah. And I'm not trying but, to get you in trouble or anything like that. No, just, you, you, you cannot get me in trouble. You know. <laughs> um, what's being done, though, on, on the oil and gas side? Are you hearing from anybody? Are you hearing from anybody at the Colorado Commission? Are you hearing anybody from any of the activist groups that are, you know? Well, just, just the rule proposals, you know, are detrimental to oil and gas, as well as, as the population of the state. You know, when you're talking about severance taxes, this is a huge issue. Right now, the severance tax is pretty well stable, but see, it's all it's all delayed time. Like what we're what we're going to be spending on severance taxes this year to the counties is from two or three years ago, so it takes that long to catch up to it. But uh, well, what do you what what would you recommend people to do? Let's say you work in the oil and gas industry, you live in Colorado, and you you know you you want to let your voice be heard or something like that. A lot of a lot of people aren't accessible as they used to be. Because of COVID, that whether they it's true or, or whether they just use it as an excuse, um, well, it's changed. Lot, you know, I will tell you, the COVID has made us more accessible. I think so. You know, due to uh, technologies such as Zoom and email, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. All we can do is just keep fighting it. I, I, I've always felt that it uh, was not in the best interest of any government to be completely dominated by one party politics over another. So I would, I would, uh, and I'm talking both Republican and Democrat. I would always make sure that there's a split government in office at the time. Cause I think that we're, that's a better element for the population by far. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I think, you know, we really need to make sure the government understands its role and its role is not to pick winners and losers. And that's that's uh, and you see that quite a bit, but, yeah. especially lately. You've been seeing it. it yeah. You know, the, to answer your question, if I could answer that question, I'd be doing it. <laughs> you, you follow my line of thought? I totally do. Absolutely. That's but, why. I'm, that's why I'm reaching out to you because I feel like, I feel like honestly, the oil and gas industry is lost in Colorado. That. They, they, they have, they're not sure what they should do because every time they turn around, there's more restrictions coming out of nowhere and they act like it's like they didn't see it coming. That's what I cannot figure out. I'll tell you, you got some really good, sharp people in the oil and gas industry. And if there's a way to figure this out, you know, they will come, they will bring it forward. But I think what we just need to do is just the times we're in right now, you know, when you make one aspect of society an enemy of the people, you know that's a pick. That's picking winners and losers, and that's not the role of government. What we should, and government should be doing is 
is how to make everything work better for people. And that means safe environment, everything else. So I, I really don't know, but we need to look at this, you know, we need to look at this beyond my district, this state, this country. We need to look at it. How's this going to impact the world at a later date? That's what we need to be careful of. Yeah, and uh, for people in other states, uh, the reason why we've been covering this for the last five years is because I, I think what's happening in Colorado is a Colorado blueprint, and they're going to roll it out into other states. I mean, when you take a look at somebody like Michael Bloomberg pumping $2 million into the Texas Railroad Commission race, and in North yep. Dakota, we've got, you know, Fargo is very liberal. we got a giant mural of Greta Thunberg in downtown Fargo, and she's never set foot in this city. So it's a very liberal city as well. Boulder, of course, as as you mentioned earlier, they've pretty much infiltrated much of government to do what they've been able to do in Colorado. So it's real. It's it, This yeah. is real. And one well, of the things we're trying to do is just report on it and not sound like conspiracy you know, nuts. Just say, listen, folks, this is actually happening. So, And, you know, you, you even hear aspects of agriculture. How can we, uh, you know, cow manure being a, a toxic entity, uh, you know what what they should do to regulate agriculture I, once you start looking at our energy our food supply system you know it's uh the food's got to be grown somewhere and what the, you know utopian does not exist we have to work at it that's interesting so I, you brought up agriculture when when i first uh, last year i started actually calling this kind of this uh oil and gas transition, if you will, or the government uh, becoming a little bit more involved. I said, is it becoming ag 2.0 to where it's just going to be some become subsidized so much that to where to where ag was like that? And uh, not many people understood what I was talking about with that. But if, if you come from ag, it, it's it's people can understand it because you're dealing with a natural resource to where the government's directing you which natural resource, whether it's corn or wheat or soy. Sure. Yeah, I mean, versus like a sunflower or whatever. And so if that's the case in oil and gas, it's going to change the industry. Totally, it's going to change the industry because they're used to good old 100% capitalism, man. Yeah, well, you know, uh, even our alternative energy, we utilize that in Colorado as as economic development for agriculture because, you know, they uh, for each uh, windmill, there's quite a bit of money paid to that farmer rancher for Mm -hmm. the use of his land. So, you know, I think there's room for all, and I think it'll benefit us all, and I think it'll benefit us a little bit more once prices start coming down, which is a, that's basically been the promise of alternative energy, but I've yet to see it, but that's another story. But I think, uh, you know, we need to, energy's a driver, you know, and it, it will continue to drive. So we need to be very careful about what we're doing. I totally agree, and I think I think the to end the interview as I'm taking a look at the time here, and very appreciative of your time. Is to me, I, I think the the big story though is the innovations that are happening because when you have whether whether it's a renewable innovation or whether it's a medical innovation or whether it's a transportation innovation, at the root of it all is the the oil and gas industry. And so to to crash course out of an oil and gas industry when that is needed to build solar panels and wind turbines and electric cars and everything else is, is a very difficult conversation to have with someone. So I, I think focusing on the environmental 
energy innovations is a very uh, good way for awareness in today's climate. And it's, um, I don't know your thoughts on that, but I just wanted to kind of end on a positive note with some of the innovations that we're seeing uh, come out of the energy industry that are really making it cleaner. You're looking at, you know, BP well, and Shell are investing in LG and a number of different things. Right. So there's a little bit of R&D money and research time that people need to understand that happens here. Well, you know, back in the 70s, you had a, a huge, severe brown cloud over Denver. Now here it is, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later, we have four times the population up there and the brown cloud is not even talked of because you don't see it anymore. We've really cleaned up our environment a lot and we got a ways to go, no doubt, but I think we could get it done without devastating the industry, the, uh, the, the economics of rural Colorado, as well as, you know, uh, like the one man said, you know, he, he was a, a, a farm worker down in Southern Colorado and then he went to work for oil and gas. And with all this coming about, it, he, he blames government for, we're trying to make him go back to being a foreign, uh, field hand worker. So, you know, it's uplifts a lot of people, and I think it'll continue to do so. And I know that I'm uh, very pro-energy of all kinds, but I think we ought to, another conversation we ought to have is nuclear. If you really want to make no no blueprint, you know, nobody's talking about nuclear uh, in Colorado because they're, they're all opposed to that, but that's probably the cleanest energy you can find. You know, you're talking about nuclear even cold fusion, hydrogen. Yeah. I, I don't hear people talk about that anymore. Those are real technologies that are, are really progressive. And um, I, I think you're on the right path there where in 10 years, we might not even be talking about wind and solar because that's old news. Solar, I sure. don't think. I think solar will stick around in some capacity, more as a passive or secondary source. But I think the nuclear, and like I mentioned, cold fusion, I hear about every now and then. And um, even microwave pops up occasionally, but that's almost more of a, a fracking um, alternative. But it's interesting because the cleaner and the uh, more energy efficient, they, they just come. I, I think they just naturally come. That's why I said before, if you look back at the last 150 years, humans have been naturally becoming cleaner with our hydrocarbons just on our own with, sure. without, without any other... Because we just, we want a cleaner planet. You know, I think of when I went out to L.A. last time when I was in the 90s, you're right. You couldn't even, you couldn't even see the mountain in Santa Monica. And now at least you can. Yeah. <laughs> Colorado with the blowed crowd. And anyway, but, well, um, thank you for your time today. I'd, I'd say you'd give you a plug for your uh, senatorial race, but I imagine that's, a, did you run in the last year or were you already well, in? Well, to, to be honest, sir, I'm term limited. We have term limits in Colorado. And I'm just finishing up my second final term. Oh, so you're, you're boy, oh boy, I'm going to get an I, interview. I'm what, you call a, I'm what you call a lame duck. Yeah, no, in the media, you're call, you're what we call a golden duck because you guys like you can actually talk now. After Well, no, I, I, that's always <laughs> been a, a failure of mine. I've always spoken my mind. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever Byron Dorgan, but Byron Dorgan was uh, – uh, state senator in, in North Dakota for, you know, 20 years, 90s and 2000s. And then after he left, boy, it was like someone put a quarter in him for the next year. He was sounding oh, yeah. out like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, well, I wish you luck in your uh, post-legislative -legis career. Do you have any plans? or? Well, you know, right now they're, they're called a special session for okay. this COVID 
So we're going to be back in the court in, uh, at the Capitol the 30th of this month. And it's okay. supposed to be a four or five day uh, session. So we'll see how it works. And it's for funding for COVID related, which I, I, I do not have too much of a problem with. Some extra money came, uh, showed up. So I think we ought to spend it on the people. Well, so sure. Anyway, I, go ahead. Anyway, I just want to thank you for the contact, and it's been a sure pleasure. And you know, I, I was in North Dakota this past summer, and it's a it's a great state. I understand you spent a little time in in the winter here. Well, I did, it, but that's a lot of years ago when I was in the military. I was working outside on uh, some long range communication. It was chilly up there. Boy, I tell you, the wind the wind here can chill you to the bone. That's for sure. You bet. But it's you know it's a you got great people up there, though. That's the thing. The one thing I like about Colorado versus North Dakota is, is, you know, when we're talking about snow, is your snow falls horizontally. I'm sorry, vertically. In North Dakota, it's, it falls horizontally. So I prefer vertical snow. Well, I think right now with this drought we have, you know, play, I think whether it comes vertically or horizontally, I welcome it all. Ain't that the truth? So, well, well, I appreciate the time, sir. All right, sir. Well, adios to you.